Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the feature staff at the Columbus Dispatch, this is Life in the 614. Hi, and welcome to Life in the 614, the official lifestyle podcast for the Features Department at the Columbus Dispatch. I'm Eric Legata, Features Reporter at the Dispatch, and today we're chatting with Chris Sarandon, an actor best known for his role as Prince Humperdinck in the 1987 classic film, The Princess Bride. Sarandon will be joined by fellow cast members Wallace Shawn and Carrie Elways this weekend at Wizard World Columbus, taking place at the Greater Columbus Convention Center. Visit wizardworld.com for more information. We caught up with Sarandon to talk to him about the enduring legacy of the beloved film, as well as rumors of a possible remake. I guess first off, Chris... I guess have you been have you in the the cast of the I know there's a couple of cast members who've been at a couple of these comic cons right recently. yeah it's gonna be uh, yeah. Carrie Elwes <clears throat> Wally Sean Wally Sean and mm-hmm. myself so what's that been like you and the cast kind of going to these comic cons you know how have you been received by fans at the ones you've been to so far well it's you know it's a bit overwhelming in a way because I don't think any of us realized just how much of an effect the movies had on multiple generations of America. And sort of cross-sectional, not only generationally, but also economically, geographically, you know, all parts of the country. I had a, an experience, I think it was last year, year before, I can't remember, where we were all in Salt Lake City together. And the attorney general of the state was at the Comic-Con there, shaking hands and sort of trolling votes. But also, just he was a fan, and he, he told me that every household in Utah owns either a VHS, a DVD, or a Blu-ray of The Princess Bride. Every household. (laughs) And it's kind of staggering. Now, granted, uh, Utah being a much more kind of religiously conservative state, it makes sense in terms of, you know, the movie having a a sort of G-rated appeal. But this is held true, not specifically in terms of somebody telling me that every household has one, but that the, the movie has a sort of broad base of appeal. You know, everybody from horror geeks and people who are into genre movies to uh, people who are just uh, movie fans of, who watch it at home, people who've watched it when they were kids, and then they, they watch it with their kids. The themes in it are, are very universal and also very uplifting. You know, I have people come up to me and say, hey, whenever I'm down, this is the movie I go to that perks me up. It makes me feel better. It makes me feel better about my life and about life in general. So it's a wonderful legacy to be fulfilling in a way. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, it's kind of got a little bit of everything. It's got romance, comedy, you know, yep. adventure, action. So, yep. and it's endlessly quotable. And humor. <laughs> and humor. Yeah. And, and it's got the Bill Goldman, William Goldman, the, the screenwriter of the, rather, the writer of the book and the movie. It's got that touch that he had. You know, he was one of the great, great screenwriters of all time. 
and he considered this his crowning achievement. But yeah, then the other thing is it's it's endlessly quotable. It's got so many lines that um, yep. you know people just quote endlessly. I guess. Do you have a personal favorite of yours? I mean, whether it's from the movie or from your character Prince Humperdinck, like a favorite line that sticks out with you? Well, I've all, always, you know, there are like two that kind of stand out that people say to me, you know, actually there are three. He was bluffing. I knew he was bluffing, that one. Uh, at the end of the movie when uh, when Wesley is telling him that he's he's going to destroy him with his sword, that is Prince Humperdinck, when he, <laughs> when he talks to Count Rugen, the Christopher Guest character, the six-fingered man, about not being able to come down to the pit of despair because he's busy murdering his wife, <laughs> uh, you know, that he's seen, and he tells him, I'm swamped. <laughs> uh, and there are a couple of others. They, they, they go on and on. It's, it's, I would not say such things if I were you. There are so many of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, the one I always think of that always made me laugh was, uh, if she is otherwise when I find her, I shall be very put out. <laughs> put out. <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> Iocane. That, that one, too. Yeah. 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 If I'm wrong, and I'm never wrong... Yeah, I mean, it's just, you could go on forever. So just, yep. You know, when you took this role as the villainous Prince Humperdinck, I guess, what about that role appealed to you? Oh, gosh. Uh, first of all, villains are almost always wonderfully faceted and interesting because they get to... They get to act out what our, you know, the the, the audience's uh, sociopathic or psychopathic <laughs> impulses are that we, you know, we we hang on to because we're civilized. Or at least most of us are. And when you're an actor and you get you get to play a villain, you get to to sort of work those things out on on screen or on stage. And it's fun because you're really expressing a side of yourself that you don't get to do when you're, you know, in real life. You're at least generally. I don't know many actors who are. Sociopaths or psychopaths. <laughs> so, what was it like uh, portraying Prince Humperdinck? Kind of, what did you try to bring to that role on the screen? Well, I think it's just a matter of fulfilling what Goldman wrote, which is that this is a man who, you know, it's another one of the quotes. You know, his his sidekick is telling him of all his trouble and troubles, and Humperdinck looks at him and says, "Try ruling the world sometime." Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he's got his hand in any number of pots, and he's juggling them, and he's a, in a way a kind of fictional avatar for uh, any number of. Uh, Machiavellian politicians who are out there now. And he's overwhelmed in some respects, but he also has complete and utter faith in his ability to handle all of the stuff that's sort of swirling around him. So it was great fun to really play somebody who feels like he's in total control, but at the bottom of his his soul knows that it's going to catch up with him at some point. Yeah. And now obviously he's a he's a character fans love to hate so to say. But I mean Yeah, do you, yeah. Do you think he is is he misunderstood? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's totally understood for what he is. I think Buttercup misunderstands him. She at first thinks that he is well-meaning and uh, somebody who wants to take care of her in her hopeless at that time state, but he's uh very complex character. Mm -hmm. So complex character. So I guess there's more to him than meets the eye. Like he's not just it's not just black and white villainy. I guess. Or? Well, I don't think there's it's black and white villainy in the sense that it's just you know he's a he's a bad guy and he's completely transparent as a bad guy. I think he's a pretty good actor and he's able to navigate any number of different situations. You know, the the benevolent ruler, the man of the 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 good son, the considerate friend, the 
client and husband or, or would-be husband, that is fiancé, to Buttercup, who wants to only, only her best interests are at heart. He's, of course, covering up his ulterior motives because he wants to kill her. He wants to, to foment a war against uh, the neighboring kingdom. He wants to consolidate his power. He wants to take over from his father. So he's, he's playing those dual roles all the time. Yeah. And... Now, when, do you find like when you've been going to these these Comic Con conventions? Because obviously you've done a lot more in your career other than Prince Humperdinck. You know, you're the the voice of Jack Skellington. You've been on Broadway. You were nominated for a you know an Academy Award for uh, Dog Day Afternoon. So I guess you know, do you find do fans want to talk to you about those things as well, or is it primarily people asking you about Prince Humperdinck? Actually, it kind of runs the gamut. To a certain extent, it depends on the the convention. The convention we're doing in Columbus, which I believe, I know is Wizard World, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, I think a more kind of general pop culture convention. So the questions tend to be more about Princess Bride, um, about The Nightmare Before Christmas, both of which are kind of kind of general cross-cultural uh, uh, phenomenon. Phenomena, mm-hmm. uh, but then you know I get a lot about a movie that I did called Fright Night, which is a vampire movie that I did a number of years ago with uh, Tom Holland, the director who also directed Child's Play, the first Child's Play, the Chucky movie mm-hmm. that I was also in. So occasionally I'll get questions about Child's Play, more often about to Fright Night. There are a lot of major fans of Fright Night out there. Um, that was a movie that became a kind of a cult classic from the 80s when it first came out it came out in the mid 80s and it was a something of a hit you know it was a kind of the movie was sold as a kind of genre vampire movie but then it became a more kind of general classic with a lot of fans particularly women who seem to love that genre anyway the vampire movie and it's a really interesting movie in a lot of ways because it came out at the time when vampire movies had sort of run their course and they were they were they were being made fun of there was love at first bite there were a number of movies that were kind of you know send-ups of the genre and Tom Holland, who directed, wrote and directed it, came up with an idea because he was a big fan of the genre, loved it, and was bemoaning the fact that it, it, was, it had fallen on hard times and decided there's got to be a way to do it affectionately so that it, it's scary and funny at the same time. That is, you don't make fun of the movie you or the, or the uh, class of movies, the vampire movies, but you have fun with it. And at the same time, you make it scary and interesting. And I think he succeeded. It's really a, a wonderful film. Yeah. Hmm. I'll have to check that one out. I don't know that I've seen that, but it sounds interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you owe it to yourself. Yeah. It's really a wonderful <laughs> movie. Yeah, yeah. But all in all, I mean, do you um, do you like that? You know, there's a lot of people out there who probably primarily know you as Prince Humperdinck. So do you do you like being known for that role of, amongst so many fans? Or oh, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. I, I I couldn't be prouder of having been a part of it for any number of reasons. You know, first of all, the quality of the movie, the the impressiveness of the cast. I mean, I was blown away by being in the the midst of that uh, sort of stellar group of people and having been directed by Rob Reiner, who's a wonderful man as well as uh, unparalleled uh, director. And also very proud of the effect the movie's had on the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, that is, it, it, it has a kind of pervasive effect on the culture in general, which I, I think is just wonderful because it's, it's many things to many people and many generations. 
Yeah, and I know recently there have been rumors about potentially remaking it, and that's kind of elicited rea- you know, strong reactions both for and against that notion. Yes. I guess, where do you right, fall on that? Right. Would you support them doing that? Do you think they should? Or You know, I think it depends on how it's done and by whom. Many a slip between the cup and the lip, as they say. So, <laughs> uh, I, for instance, a few years ago there was a, a, um, a reimagining as, as they called it, of Fright Night, the original Fright Night. And I thought they did a very nice job with the movie. Uh, Colin Farrell played the role that I played in the original, and Tony Collette was in it, Anton Yelchin, it was a, uh, and Greg Gillespie directed it. It was a really well done, but fans just didn't respond to it because they were, you know, they had a real sort of a nostalgic feeling about the original. But then look at the Godfather movies, or at least the first two. Uh, so it, 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 it depends on the circumstances, and uh, actually, the Godfather movies weren't remakes, but there have been films that have been remade that have been uh, quite successful, and more often than not, remakes are generally not if the original is a classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can think of like Scarface as like a primary example of that. The Al Pacino remake mm-hmm. is, you know, very popular. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there have been there have been remakes of various films. There's a wonderful movie from the 30s called The Shop Around the Corner with Jimmy Stewart and Marino Sullivan. That was a remake of a of a Czech movie that was also very successful. And then The Shop Around the Corner was then remade into a wonderful musical called She Loves Me uh, by uh, Jerry Bach and Sheldon Harnick, who directed Fiddler on the Roof. So sometimes, you know, they're converted into other forms and are very successful. It just depends. As far as The Princess Bride's concerned, I have haven't heard about a possible remake. I do know that Disney still has plans to do a musical version of it. Oh, really? Uh, on Broadway, and that had actually been in the works a number of years ago with uh, Bill Goldman and a music theater guy named uh, Adam Gettle, who wrote a show that I was in called The Light in the Piazza, and he and Bill Goldman were working on an adaptation, a musical adaptation, and then it just sort of fell apart didn't happen but i hear that there may be a musical version that disney is doing interesting i had not heard about that one Hmm. but yeah i mean such a you know lovely movie and you know holds a special place in a lot of people's hearts so it'd be tough Mm -hmm. to if you remake it you got to do it right (laughs) so yeah 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 i know i know (laughs) Uh, and i think i think generally fans have a very strong opinion about it which Mm -hmm. is don't do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, is there anything else you're working on lately? Any other projects that are that are coming up? At the moment, I've been concentrating on a. I'm writing a memoir. Oh, really? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I've completed probably two thirds of it. My agent, book agent, has it, and it's out to publishers now. So we'll see. Some hopefully sometime in the next few months, mm-hmm. I'll have uh, more news as to whether it's going to be at some imprint and published. Wow. out there yeah well that'll yeah. be great that'll be really interesting yeah yeah well I, I you know I come from a small town a small coal mining town in West Virginia mm-hmm. uh, but my father was an immigrant he came here under very interesting circumstances back in the 1920s um, and uh, I have a lot of stories to tell about a lot of the people that I've worked with and some of the things that have happened to me along the way as well as the uh, a family history that is both typical and atypical of the American experience of being a first-generation son of uh, immigrants and uh, navigating that, as well as three marriages and 
children and now seven grandchildren and mm-hmm. two more grandchildren on the way. So it's been a full life. Yeah, well, that sounds like it'd be great. I wish you the best of luck on that. That, that should be really oh, well, interesting. thank you. Yeah. Thank you. But yeah, other than that, Chris, I think that covers all the questions I had. But if you want to add anything else before I let you go, feel free. Well, I just feel, I, I guess, um, one of the things that I always have a, an appreciation for when I go to these Comic-Cons is that the folks who come to them are, by and large, lovely people who are tremendously uh, appreciative of the work that filmmakers uh, do on the projects that uh, the fans are, you know, in love with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've worked a lot in the theater, and, you know, you get an audience response right away when you're in the theater. Every night you're in communication with the audience. But when you work in television and movies, you don't have a chance to do that. And so these cons, in a way, are a way of both communicating with our audience, that is, the the people who are on the creative side, and also an appreciation of the fans. Mm-hmm. Because without them, <laughs> we wouldn't be there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, like you say, it's it's a way to see the, the tangible effect that your work has on, on your fans, yeah. which, yeah, otherwise, when you make movies, it's hard to, to gauge that response other than these kinds of events so that'll be great right yeah. but it, but it's not just it's not just the effect that it has on people but also the fact that that there it is a an exchange mm-hmm. there is a communication that occurs and you're not aware of it when people go to a movie theater and watch you on the screen but you are when you actually get to interact with the fans yeah and it's something that not only they appreciate but that I appreciate as well because I really love the the interaction um, it it gives me a real sense of it, it's of humility, uh, in in the sense that there's an effect out there that that occurs when artistic endeavor is is uh, is created and and it gives people some sense of uh, relief, hope, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a tremendous tremendous sense of fulfillment for the artist it really is yeah well that's great well other than that chris i really thank you for for your time this morning so much it's been been great chatting with you i appreciate it same here okay thank you thank you so much see you you in columbus soon okay take care oh cool bye-bye bye and thank you all for listening to life in the 614 don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on itunes or google play music we hope to have you back next week until then keep enjoying your own life in the 614 Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.